was the night before reshuffle, and all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The whiteboard was set by the chimney with care, in the hope the Prime Minister soon would be there. The MPs were snuggled up in their beds, while dreams of red boxes danced in their heads. I hope that masterful reworking of a Christmas classic suitably matches your festive mood. Happy Christmas, and welcome to this deep and crisp and even edition of Inside Briefing, the podcast from the Institute for Government. I'm Alex Thomas, and this episode of Inside Briefing is going to try to do something a little bit different. Much like our feelings about Christmas sprouts, or even time with the in-laws, we have a love-hate relationship with reshuffles at the IFG, and we all spend a lot of time thinking about what it takes to be a good government minister. So an exciting day is finally here. There's been months of speculation in the press, briefings and counter-briefings consuming Westminster. Today we are going to be picking our Institute for Government fantasy cabinet. Here's how it's going to work. I'm here in the IFG studio with my colleagues Alice Lilly. Hello. Emma Norris. Hello. And Joe Owen. Hello. Hello, everybody. And for today, we are the IFG whips, shaping the IFG fantasy cabinet with our preferred candidates. For the last week, our colleagues all across the IFG have been sending in suggestions, real people, fictional characters, not, repeat, not politicians, for cabinet jobs. Those suggestions have been allocated to the four of us, and over the next 40 minutes or so, we're going to be lobbying for our candidates to be included in the fantasy cabinet. We've all got our own shortlists for the big jobs, and there are a few wild cards in there as well. We'll aim for consensus, but if we can't agree between us, then I'm told that as chair I get the deciding vote. I will try to exercise the great power given to me by our uncodified constitution with due responsibility. So, let's get going. Obviously, in a reshuffle, the Prime Minister is already in place. But in this scenario, the whips are in charge, and we couldn't miss a chance to pick a Prime Minister. So let's begin with the top job. As recent years have shown, it takes all types. A lettuce, somebody else. Who are our candidates for leader? Who wants to go first? So I think I should go first here, because I think I've got the continuity candidate, the sort of incumbent that others have to beat. My candidate, I think, reflects different parts of different prime ministers that we've had over the last few decades. And it is Hugh Grant's character in Love Actually. (laughs) I think he is naturally happy with foreign leaders while at the same time having a common touch and can go to carol concerts. His premiership, at least what we saw on television, was dominated by a massive foreign policy question. He has a complicated love life. He even had the first party we've seen in number 10, which we could be confident was socially distanced because we watched it and it was just him dancing. So I think he's the incumbent that others have to beat. I mean, where do you stand on the dancing, Joe? It's better than mine. <laughs> uh, and it was Girls Aloud, which I think, you know, you, you could do worse. It's a bit cringy though, wasn't it? I mean, that sort of standing up to the American president and all that. It, it was, was definitely cringe, but not afraid to take the big decisions. <laughs> he got the big decisions right, some would say, even if he did it for dubious reasons. <laughs> Alice, who have you got? So, someone a bit different, not so much the continuity candidate, but uh, somebody who has a real kind of track record when it comes to winning things, even in very high pressure, high stakes situations. Somebody who has the kind of organisational skills that you want from your prime minister, somebody who knows how to most effectively deploy their colleagues, the right kind of positions to put them in and how to kind of pick people for the right jobs. Good at masterminding defence, good at masterminding attack, generally excellent all round at strategy. And that person is, of course, Serena Veedman. 
the uh. England women's manager. Delightful human being. Fantastic at all things she does. She's great in press conferences. She's impossible to dislike. She's led us to football glory. What more could you want? I'm finding it quite hard to trump that. Maybe Serena is the change we need from Hugh. Have our footballing fortunes slightly tailed off in the last few months? Difficult second term. Difficult yeah. second term, you know, trying to build on the success as a parliament goes on, things get harder for a leader. But I think she's proven her resilience. She's proven that she can lead in bad times as well as good. We have had our first few losses as a team under her leadership. But, you know, I think England can kind of bounce back stronger. So I think, again, it's that kind of resilience that you really want in a leader and who can show that leadership and pick their colleagues up even when perhaps things aren't quite going your way. So I'm going to make a pitch for a continuity candidate of a different kind. Somebody who has, in fact, been prime minister before, not just that. They've been Prime Minister and Foreign Secretary, the path of uh, some other political leaders recently. This person is a brilliant operator. She's an idealist. She's got values, but she also knows about political realism. She's become Prime Minister as a leader of a minority political party as part of a coalition compromise. Nick Clegg, eat your heart out. She's the ultimate unity figure. She's got the right experience to unite warring factions at a time that we've, you know, suffered huge division in our politics and our country. She is Birgitta Nyborg, the former Danish Prime Minister. And we should say, for anyone who hasn't watched Borgen, this is a fictional <laughs> Prime Minister. I'm not sure. Maybe Did to you. you. Uh, <laughs> Alex, maybe to just me, she so is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She really was Danish Prime Minister. I mean, again, it's very strong. Well, but I'm not... This Scandinavian politics in the UK... I'm not sure. I mean, it's all very, you know, neat and clean and grey, uh, attractive. But I'm not sure. Yeah, we want more vibrancy, don't we? In our in maybe our you know that that neatness and greyness is the stability <laughs> and long termism that we need, Alex. Cross cutting policy, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you could say that. Make politics boring again. Was it a whole episode about some sort of planning permission on a? bypass or something i seem to remember something on that in Bourbon. that's what the people want alex that's what they're ready that's what for the ifg one <laughs> is it what the people that is, want that is quite like parliament where you know you will have a prime minister who will be making a statement of like critical national security import and then two minutes later they're being asked a question by somebody about you know why the local leisure center has been shut which keeps you humble but Bagita would be she's all over it she's been there she's done that she would know how to handle it perfectly try uh Give mine a go because I think this is a very strong candidate. Mm. <laughs> very strong candidate. 60 years experience. Forget your Johnny come lately's. Genuinely, I think, world beating. I don't think anybody could argue that this person wasn't world beating, uh, to coin a phrase. She's been a pilot, she's been an astronaut. She's done NASCAR. She's been a doctor. <laughs> She's got all this wide experience outside parliament, outside government. She hasn't been without controversy. You know, she's had to navigate difficult gender politics, race and religious politics. And she's learned from that. She's moved on. We all saw over the course of the last year how she's a model of inclusivity. She fights the patriarchy, but she's also able to kind of learn. She gives those around her what they need. She is, of course, Barbie. I don't think I need to say anything more. She's not grey. <laughs> She's very pink. She's certainly not grey. Um, but in the film, isn't she more like revolutionary, bringing down a government that was wrong? From, she brought it down for all the right reasons, but can you translate the sort of revolutionary zeal of opposition into, into government? Could she do it? I feel like I'm pro bringing down the patriarchy. 
Isn't that what Barbie I'm was I'm not saying I'm for? against it. I'm <laughs> saying that the skills you need to bring it down, the same skills you need to, to well, lead it was afterwards. triggered by realisation of her own mortality as well, which I think brings a humility to, to politics that is, you know, that is, that is quite powerful. I have to say, my one thing, my counter-argument to everyone apart from Hugh Grant, and I don't want to bring in a sort of nationalistic aspect to this, but only Hugh Grant is British, Yeah, <laughs> these things, and I suppose we're, are we going to discount that as any sort of factor? I mean, it feels a bit unfair to... For those of you that watched the most recent series, I think, of Borgen, uh, she did have a British boyfriend, so I think that British citizenship might be possible for Begita. How are we going to resolve this? I mean, it's obviously Barbie, but, you know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's between Barbie and Serena for me. I think we've discounted Hugh... Yeah, yeah, I think, of yeah, the cringe factor is time for change. Too high. Time yeah. to change. Yeah, there we go. I'll concede that. Fine. You concede. Wow. I think I think Barbie's a strong candidate, but maybe there's just too much baggage there. All right, our prime minister is Serena Vigman. Let's move on then to the next biggest job in government: the chancellor, looking for someone who's good with numbers, able to stand up to all those colleagues who keep demanding more money, and ideally someone who won't crash the economy. What do you think? Okay, I want to make the case for Severus Snape. It's a bold one. Thank you. <laughs> we live in a time of aggressive short-termism, and I think that Snape showed that he is more than capable of acting for the long-term good. He's got moral courage. He's kind of mean, which I think matters for the Chancellor. He's a steely figure. I don't think that departments are going to be submitting silly spending bids with, with Snape at the helm. I think as a fictional character acted by the great Alan Rickman, the budget speech would have amazing enunciation. But most importantly, it is in some ways continuity. He would be following the great tradition of being a good chancellor who loyally does the second in command role really effectively before trying to take over and finding out that it doesn't really work out well. For those of you who have watched it in Harry or read it in Harry Potter, Spoilers. he dies. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, so, you know, he is both. Put that in the show notes. <laughs> he's a reformer. He's focused on the, on the long term, but also he follows a great tradition of existing chancellors. So I've got someone else who follows a tradition of existing chancellors. It's Stringer Bell from The Wire, the right hand <laughs> man of Avon Barksdale, who runs a criminal enterprise in Baltimore. And I was thinking about it. I actually think that public spending in cabinet government is quite similar to narcotics in a drug empire. Um, in that everyone in the gang wants a bigger stash. The bigger your stash, the more powerful you are. And I think that's very true with public spending. And Stringer Bell played the role of making sure that the right people had the right size stash and kept control of it all. So I think he's got experience on the job, very practical. And like Severus Snape, he did the sort of right-hand man who thinks he really controls the show because he's in all of the detail, he knows the numbers, that's what you want from a chancellor. He then is also very happy to move away from, and this slightly different Severus Snape, but he moved away from total loyalty to trying to steal the show when he thought it was his moment, which I think chancellors tend to think about if not do so I think he's got all of the sort of attributes that you want from a chancellor knows how to allocate the pile has a ability to be loyal but like most chancellors will take his opportunity when it comes I should say our colleague Rosa who made this nomination has put in the spreadsheet that we use to compile it 
I think he would actually be really good. Yes. <laughs> so, to be fair, that is what I had to go on. <laughs> but based on that, I would both say, Joe, I am respectful and disturbed by how much thought you have just put in. Yeah. <laughs> That was detailed. These are two quite sort of strong characters, aren't they? They're, quite, you know, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, got, I've got a practical objection to uh, to Stringer. I think we've all been watching lots of the COVID inquiry here. Keep bringing it up. One of the things that's come out really strongly is, you know, the danger of using informal communication yes. uh, to make decisions. And from what I remember of The Wire, Stringer Bell uses a lot of burner phones. We've had too many burner phones. It'd be government by page rather than government yeah. by WhatsApp. <laughs> They certainly wouldn't be making their way to the inquiry, though, would they? They'd be long gone. No, and I. he also has a habit of killing people, which we sort of shouldn't overlook. Probably not the thing that you want from a chancellor, actually, to kill people. Yeah, not the moral not ideal. No. Yeah. Alice, who's yours? Well, I suppose we've had maybe two kind of more traditional nominations, and mine is someone who would definitely be a pathbreaker because it's a woman, and frankly, having a woman as chancellor is long overdue. And that is, of course, the legend that is Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development. So Lucille has kind of seen everything. She is not a person who is overly burdened by emotion. You know, people can make appeals to her, to her kind of good nature, to her heart. It doesn't matter if they're family or not. She's not interested. So I think as Chancellor, that stands her in good stead. And I don't think she would take any nonsense from anybody else around the cabinet table. Does she have a broad enough canvas? Oh, so broad. <laughs> broad like you wouldn't believe, Alex. <laughs> All right, well, there we go. We'll take your word for it, Alice. Um, my nomination is Rachel Riley, so it would be another woman chancellor, which is long overdue. Avoid the Rachel Reeves, Claire Coutinho, all this sort of you know briefing that we've had over the last few months. Um, just clearly, you know, deeply competent. Has the maths, has the... Uh, you know, has the head for figures. And that's it, really. I think it's not, uh, you know, I won't go with some sort of long and convoluted argument like Joe <laughs> while entirely overlooking the moral dimension of the person I'm nominating. Um, I'm just going to say she'd be really good at the job and leave it at that. So I have a, there's a kind of, I think it's a, it's a pro for the IFG, but possibly a con compared to how previous chances have done it for Rachel Riley, which is she's very transparent about her workings out, uh, um, which is obviously mm-hmm. good. The, the people should get transparency, yeah. but chancellors tend to like to be not particularly transparent about their workings this out. This is the reform we're arguing for. Fine. Yeah. Um, on that case. Yeah. government. And do we need to, would she be sufficiently aligned with Serena to Rachel. make sure that they could run a decent government set I mean, of priorities? Rachel Riley is a massive football fan. So I think she and Serena could work potentially very, very well together. I have to admit, I thought Snape was going to win this. I'm amazed that Rachel Riley's going to win this. I mean, part of me still thinks Snape. Yeah. I do love the idea yeah. of Snape giving a budget statement. Between Snape and Riley. We talk about the long term a lot at IFG, guys. This is our chance to put in somebody who is willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for the good of this country. I wonder what he'd drink at the dispatch down. box. I was, yeah. Some sort of potion. Definitely some kind of potion. Yeah. I mean, you could, you'll need a chief secretary. Oh, okay. Here we go. Compromise. <laughs> the horse trading begins. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a winning pitch, Alice. So do we think Snape as Chancellor and Rachel Riley as Chief, Riley Chief, as Chief Secretary? Secretary? Yeah. I'm pro that. It's a bonus CST. Okay. <laughs> Cerverus Snape as Chancellor and bonus Chief Secretary with Rachel Riley. Okay. 
Next up, Foreign Secretary. Big job. Ideally somebody who won't offend other countries, likes clocking up air miles, hopefully good on Instagram, but perhaps a bit more conscious of the dangers of TikTok. Who do we think? So I'm going to make the pitch for Graham Norton. I think the most important factor in Foreign Secretary is actually soft skills. You've got to be charming. Mm. You've got to make friends with anyone. You've got to be good at dealing with difficult customers. I think he's proved he's more than capable on every front. He's used to operating with a high profile. He's got to keep the show on the road, even when he's dealing with the most difficult people. He's actually described a tried and tested approach he takes for dealing with people that don't want to engage with you. You get them pissed. If that doesn't work, you ignore them. I feel like that's the perfect Does this mean we approach. have to put an explicit warning on this uh, podcast? <laughs> explicit and spoilers. <laughs> I think Graham would be the ultimate foreign secretary. He is good at doing what are really heavily choreographed conversations mm. and making them seem natural, mm-hmm. which I think is probably quite a good bonus if you're a foreign secretary. And if you can get through hours of not just Eurovision, but the Eurovision semi-finals, the Eurovision dress rehearsals, and keep your kind of focus and your good humour, you can get through a G20 meeting. Exactly. No problem. The UN General Assembly, easy. Easy. Do you think the early part of his career is any problem? You know, some of those slightly more raunchy bits or... What was the early part of, of his career, <laughs> Alex? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> late, night, late night television, you know, with various kind of... Look, I think we want a foreign secretary who understands all different parts of life and the world, exactly. Alice, who's yours? This is the person who is the kind of epitome of diplomatic, good-natured, international experience, and that is, of course, Sir Michael Palin. Mm. I mean, he's been everywhere, and he's been everywhere you know, quickly. He did it within 80 days. So the, the travel demands <laughs> of the time are frankly absolutely fine. He can he can do that job, no problem. He's incredibly diplomatic. He's very good at not offending people. He's actually good at kind of teasing out the real details, the realities of everyday life from people in other countries. Could be quite helpful for a foreign secretary. He has a history degree. And actually, although he's not really your kind of TikTok man, right? I reckon with Michael Palin, he has very much shown himself willing to be put in some quite fundamentally silly situations and is always kind of very good humoured and good natured about it. So I think the kind of odd like photo shoots and things that foreign secretaries are made to do where they've got to pose grinning with some different national costume or national dish or smiling while they listen to a choir of out of tune children sing something... I think he would do that flawlessly. And, you know, he would be, he'll be putting the great into Great Britain. Mm-hmm. And he loves a train. Loves a train. Well, my, um, my nominee for Foreign Secretary is Meryl Streep, who I think would be brilliant. I confess I did initially think of her for the simple pun that in Mamma Mia, she had plenty of foreign affairs. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm constructing a case based around that very slim rationale. Um, but, you know, 21 Oscar nominations, three victories, one of the very few people to get be nominated for the EGOT, the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar and Tony. She played Margaret Thatcher with distinction in The Iron Lady, so has got experience of, you know, being, inhabiting a top flight politician. I think, you know, she's got a 
bit of a political track record, so she might offend some people, but has generally allied herself with good causes. So um, I think Meryl Streep is my pick for Foreign Secretary. With Meryl Streep, I'm a bit worried about, you know, political fighting, like yeah. fighting for the top job. And Don't yeah. Look Up, her most recent one, she was the president of the US. I'm concerned she's got a taste for the top job. And I'm very worried about the track record of the kind of foreign secretary to uh, prime minister <laughs> I agree. trajectory my, after recent years. My advice to Serena would be stel- stay well clear. But that's I wonder why you how came many of the her, foreign office. How many of her nominations were for a leading role as opposed to a supporting role? <laughs> uh, and whether she can do the supporting role without wanting to become the leading role, I think is exactly, the question. Exactly. I think it's too much of a risk, which is where my candidate is perfect. C-3PO from Star Wars, <laughs> uh, speaks over five million languages, I'm told, obviously very well travelled, has the benefit of being able to just be programmed to go off to summits. And then if you wanted to then take, if Serena wanted to travel in and take the glory, just switch them off. <laughs> it's just a very low risk foreign secretary, able to go away, do the work, and then you can sweep in and take all the glory. So if that's what, if Serena wants to operate, on the international level, she's got the perfect foreign secretary. Sort of humble foreign policy. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, I have to say, after the last few years in particular, the idea of politicians that we can just turn off and turn <laughs> on again is not unappealing. Although, I mean, does this raise up a whole new broad dimension about, you know, the robots and the AI coming for our jobs? This is why should we be, you know, accelerating the tech takeover mm. of our politics? And I mean, given that, We've just shown that the civil service, the secret service, whoever, they're incapable of retrieving even some WhatsApps from an old phone. Yeah. Are we definitely sure that if we gave C-3PO the job, they wouldn't be hackable by yeah. Russia, China? I mean, he's sort of 70s technology, though, isn't he? So maybe it's so quite... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. perfect for government. Exactly. In Most of government runs on seventies technology. That's totally fine. Are you are? It is a fair point that like, and this sounds really unfair, but I'm not sure the Foreign Office is the most sort of like down with the technology department yeah. of all of the mm. Whitehall departments. So I think I'm going to call this. Yeah. Because I'm leaning towards C3PO. Unless anyone's got any uh, final objections. I can live with that. It could be a bold new experiment in government. Leading the world in AI. Here we go. Foreign Secretary C-3PO. And there that's, we go. that's the content for our first report of 2024. Sorted. <laughs> <laughs> right. Last of the great offices of state and perhaps the hardest, Home Secretary. You've got to look tough. You need to get a grip of the type of policy problems that, well, lots of Home Secretaries haven't been able to get to grips with. They have to be ready for anything. So... Joe, who's yours? So my candidate, I think, has lots of the qualities that you need. They regularly say no, quite rudely. They're often disliked by colleagues and involved in public spats between them. They often seem like there's an like an ulterior motive at play in some of their decisions. And there's just a kind of an agenda that you're not quite clear about. And they regularly threaten to just bring down the whole show. My candidate is Simon Cowell of X Factor fame. I think it's a relatively straightforward pitch. Continuity. I feel like I'm on one hand pitching total continuity with Hugh Grant and Simon Cowell, and on the other hand <laughs> trying to install a robot at the top of the, <laughs> of the foreign office. So um, thank you to my f- colleagues for 
these uh, nominations. I think your argument for Carol would be my argument against Joe. I think you know, isn't the Home Office supposed to be going through a kind of cultural shift where it becomes a more thoughtful organisation and its interactions with people? And are we convinced that Simon Cowell is the right man for that job? It's a good question. I mean, the other the other question I would raise is, you know, Home Secretary. It's a big policy brief. Do you think? Simon Cowell could be across every single one of the aspects of the Home Office's work? Um, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that is because, as, as you know, I think the Home Office should be broken up. Um, uh, He's nailed his colours to the mark. <laughs> the, three reports. And <laughs> um, <laughs> other things about Simon Cowell. It would be a culture shock to the Home Office for someone who has that many buttons undone routinely to walk around in a kind of department that has lots of uniformed officers, part of its midst, having someone whose uniform is <laughs> a black suit and a white shirt with at least four buttons undone, I think would be... I thought it would take us longer to scrape the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. We've, yeah. Know, we've, we've got there. I, I think I started there. there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move us on with my nomination, which is um, Ian McKellen. Obviously an amazing actor, but you know, much like Meryl Streep, that didn't go so well. I'm basing this on one of uh, his character's most famous sayings, which is being very tough on border security and very clear that you shall not pass. So I think Ian McKellen as Gandalf at the border, you know, much like many politicians I won't name, standing on the White Cliffs of Dover, uh, you know, waving his staff and, um, uh, and maintaining border security. That is my pitch for Ian McKellen, Gandalf at the Home Office. Emma, who's yours? Okay, I want to make a case for somebody who's going to be able to really zoom in on one part of the Home Office. Mm. This man is all about the police. He has played a policeman probably 300 times or more. He knows the force <laughs> inside out. But he's not just there to defend the police. He understands them, but he wants them to be better than they are. Accountability matters to them because he is interested in one thing and one thing only, and that is catching Ben Coppers. <laughs> oh, it's him. Adrian Dunbar, <laughs> otherwise known as Ted Hastings on Line of Duty. And, you know, okay, he's expert in some of the kind of police accountability matters, but a lot goes wrong in the Home Office, and Adrian has dealt with countless stressful situations in line of duty. He's overseen shootouts in his office, co-workers being attacked by masked intruders, clinging on to armed lorries, veering out of control in cities in the UK. He knows how to deal with crises. He's also from Northern Ireland. He's got a very interesting background. So he's got a lot of insight into cultural sensitivities, but he shouldn't be sidelined into the NIO. Mm. So I think let's install Adrian. What about the non-police bits of the Home Office? Do you think he's got the skills? I think he's shown that he's an extremely fast learner. He's adaptable in environments that he's not used to, Alex. I think, you know, he's a man that you can trust it's to fair. get up to speed. My other worry is the operational independence of the police and whether he'd be too tempted to get involved in too much detail there you know could he hold himself back and stick to the policy and overall you know there in line of duty he has always operated with a wall between him and the force that he's holding to account alex so i think he's proved in real time that he's capable of it you're also proving that i've never watched Life of duty <laughs> <laughs> alice who's your nomination so in the spirit of uh things we have not watched <laughs> um, with thanks to my colleague David for landing me with this. So again, somebody who would be very focused on one particular bit of the Home Office brief, and that is 
Idris Elba, aka John Luther. My colleague Sachin, about 20 minutes ago, gave me the lowdown on Luther. So here are some things that he highlighted. This is someone who, as a policeman, you know, is not afraid to use unconventional methods, has a kind of relentless focus on trying to do what it is that he wants to do, albeit sometimes straying into what might be some legally slightly more debatable methods of doing so. Not much of a team player, which as actually many home secretaries have taught us in the past, is <laughs> no barrier to doing that job whatsoever. And then the other final thing that uh, a colleague mentioned is that John Luther has a really good coat. And so <laughs> in the many photo opportunities that home secretaries are inevitably required to do, he would be wearing a really nice coat and would look really good. And... And I think coat. it is a good coat. You see, a good coat, and you know, I don't think we should we should forget about the fact that aesthetics aesthetics do matter in politics. So Simon Cowell has a rug, and John Luther has a coat. Yeah, um, yeah. there we go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the argument rests. Who are we going to go for for Home Secretary? I mean, I was quite quite persuaded, Emma, by yeah. Adrian Dunbar. I have to say, mm-hmm. I've never seen it, uh, but. The have any of us watched Line of Duty? The, the, the <laughs> I have seen it. This is why I'm able to make such a yeah. passionate case for Ted. The nomination uh, from Rebecca also includes the words, I think he'd be nice and calm if it was all popping off. <laughs> I think okay. is not a key skill for the Home Office. Do you think we're doing this reshuffle with more or less information about the people we're nominating than happens in an actual reshuffle. <laughs> you know it's more or less. Yeah. <laughs> right, we're going to speed through a few departments now. We've done the great offices of state. Our cabinet is starting to come together. So quick fire uh, now. We are going to the Department for Education. It's been a revolving door in recent years, so might well welcome any of our candidates. Alice, who's your candidate? I think this is a very convincing one. This is Sister Michael from Derry Girls. She has a healthy dose of practicality, of scepticism. She is not easily dissuaded into anything by anybody, which I think would be quite good quality for the Secretary of State for Education. And also, she gave some of her students some advice that I think would also be very good advice for her colleagues in Cabinet, potentially, which is, you will go far in life, but you will not be well liked. (laughs) And I think she'd keep everybody humble. That's the best political advice you can possibly give. Emma, who's yours? <laughs> um, so I am going for the demon headmaster. Now, for this is a reminder for those of you who don't know who this is. This was a headmaster in a book and TV series in the 90s who had hypnotic powers and was trying to take over the country. Look, I think the demon headmaster was committed to public services. Clearly, he has a wide skill set, didn't need to go into teaching. I think bringing some of that public service commitment to government is no bad thing. I think we are suffering a crisis in school attendance at the moment. And I think using the kind of aforementioned hypnotism, we could see quite a quick route through that. And look, I mean, he was a total hard ass from what I remember of the TV series. And behaviour management in schools is right at the heart of learning. So he's got something to uh, to show her teachers. I quite like him for Chief Whip. <laughs> we'll come back, we're going to come back to Chief Whip. So if, we, if he doesn't get education, we'll, uh, we'll keep him on the list. When I was a teenager, I was in a play and I played the Demon Headmaster. So anyway, 
confessions I probably shouldn't make in a public <laughs> setting. So um, many yeah, more my, questions. <laughs> my, uh, <laughs> leave it off the podcast. Um, my nominee is Alex Horn, who is the genius behind Taskmaster. Fantastic television programme for decompressing after too long thinking about Westminster. Taskmaster, for those who haven't watched, sets sort of comedians and celebrities through a series of anarchic and comic tasks. So my view is that Alex Horn would have a complete ability to redesign the school curriculum based on practical skills. This is all about vocational learning. Um, I think he holds people to account. He's got a good and rigorous performance assessment model Mm. through Taskmaster. It's all very open and very transparent. So Alex Horn would be my nominee for Education Secretary. I think he's he's shown as well that he can be quite good at very politely but firmly standing up to more overbearing colleagues. I think it's fair to say and I think that could be that could be quite welcome. He has also been engaged in sort of various creating various activities for children and for schools and for raising money in that. So he's clearly very interested in the area as well. So I mean you've completely sold me I love Taskmaster as you well know so sorry sister <laughs> Michael but <laughs> my heart wasn't well, in I it I love Dirty Girls too so we're torn on this but Joe who's your nominee so I'm continuing the theme of going from sort of continuity candidate to absurd and <laughs> I'm on absurd so my candidate uh, thank you to Philip is chat GBT on the basis that we should continue trying to use algorithms to set education policy I think this is a risk I'm going to come out and say it uh, because there is a high potential that will have policy set by AI, exam questions set by AI, pupils using AI to answer the Mm. exam questions, and then teachers using AI to mark the exam questions, which all feels a bit too risky, even with C-3PO at the top of the the foreign office. So (laughs) I think I'm happy with Alex Horn. Okay, Alex Horn. I would like to come back to Demon Headmaster for Chief Whip. We'll keep yes, him on the list. I, I'm slightly surprised. I thought Sister Michael was a shoo-in for this one, but um, that's very happy with Alex Horn. Right, uh, Department for Transport. Alice, kick us off. So I have gone quite route one with this, uh, appropriately enough for transport. And I've chosen Max Verstappen, three-time Formula One world champion, slash two times, depending who you talk to. He drives very fast. He makes cars go vroom. He's from the Netherlands, so he presumably knows stuff about like bikes and public transport. But more importantly, it would stop him winning any more titles and stop him racing. And I would like Lewis Hamilton to win another title. So if we could shove Max Verstappen into the cabinet and stop him racing, much appreciated. There we go. Just like that. Joe, who's yours? So mine is a ministerial team of John Candy and Steve Martin based on their experience (laughs) in playing trains and automobiles in which they travel together across the United States to get home for Thanksgiving, taking a wide range of transportation modes. So my pitch for this, I think, has to be also attached to a new policy, which is that every year the transport secretaries would be sent to make a journey from one part of the United Kingdom to another, using as many modes as transport as possible, (laughs) and then report back to Parliament on the quality of that experience and the reforms that they're going to make. Andrew is trying to do something like that on buses. That could be true. That could be true. Um, So yeah, for me, this is a whole, this is rethinking uh, transport accountability with John Candy and Steve Martin. Fantastic. Well, mine is um, not a person, it's a boat. So, you know, who do you want more than transport secretary than a mode of transport and it's Boaty McBoatface who's been nominated by Anna um, I think largely based on um, its popularity with the British public who uh, like a silly name uh, and it's obviously become uh, become a meme so I think you know 
Boating with Boatface, lived experience of being a mode of travel, a mode of transport, um, rather, clear mandate. I think. Yeah, uh, a, a clear mandate, although I looked up the numbers, it was only about 126,000 people who voted. It's enough in to it, deliver it was, the people's priorities, you know, Alex. <laughs> yeah. More than, more than <laughs> yes, the constitution, the constitution <laughs> the country. Hold back there. Um, uh, um, and, um, uh, yeah. So I want to make the case for a climate visionary who knows about reacting to climate signals and is incredibly skilled at adapting our transport infrastructure to our changing environment. And that is Noah from the Bible. (laughs) Um, Look, I think we've seen, particularly in the last year, but really over the last decade, constant chopping and changing on big infrastructure. But Noah showed us a different way. He had a commitment to long-term infrastructure decisions. It took years to build that arc. He saw it through. He stuck to his decision and delivered. He understands the relationship between transport and the wider environment. My only concern is, is Noah a little bit heteronormative? One (laughs) male and one female from each species. I mean, it was a different time, but I'm not sure that we could support that today. Mm. (laughs) I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I think you know we need a variety of different you know reflections in, in in the cabinet, and I think he also represents the deep past. He represents a religious sensibility. You know, Old Testament is not always in fashion, so you know I, I could go with Noah. Do we need do we need arcs? I mean, we might do. Right? <laughs> we're, we're not sufficiently okay. adapting our environment at the moment. So yeah, okay. If my train journey down here this morning was anything to go by... Would you prefer to have got here on an arc? I mean, it was very possible I was going to. (laughs) I think we're between the Candy Martin job share and Noah, which is not a sentence I ever thought I'd say, but uh, what do we feel? Obviously, I'm pro Candy Martin, and um, if Candy Martin did their new policy of travelling across the country once a year and decided that we needed arcs, they'd make arcs happen. I'm just concerned that they are more likely to constantly chop and change based on what they hear from the people whilst traversing the country, whereas Noah is a man who identifies a goal and and sees it through. Yeah, Yeah. sold it. Yeah, Noah it is. Congratulations, Secretary of State for Transport, Noah from the Bible. DCMS, let's do another quick one. Emma, do you want to kick us off this time? Okay, so DCMS has a great history of job shares, and I want to make the case for the ultimate job share. I want to put Mel and Sue at the top of DCMS as a ministerial job share. Look, they have been TV stars for, what, 20 years? I mean, it feels like forever. They've got media completely nailed. Culture, cooking is a massive part of our culture. I've been doing Bake Off. Sport, pretty sure they've done some dancing for charity at some point. Definitely done sport relief. That counts. I think one of them supports Charlton Athletics. So got sports covered. Yeah, I mean, they cover every brief. Let's put them in. It's a strong case. Mine is um, Victoria Wood. And I'm putting this in partly so that I can remind IFG colleagues that she exists because I've never quite got over the fact that various people hadn't heard of her when I mentioned her name a few years ago. But I think Victoria Wood, as seen on TV, DCMS is the Department for Television, Acorn Antiques, Heritage, you know, a, a wide canvas, exceptionally good comedian. Anyone that can write the ballad of Frieda and Barry, um, you know, <laughs> deserves to be in, in the cabinet. So Victoria Wood is my nominee. Alice, what's yours? Stephen Fry. He's very cultured. He knows like Latin and stuff. He does media and he's president of the MCC and a massive cricket fan. So that's the sport box. Checked. Triple threat. There we go. Strong group. But are they about to be blown out of the water by Joe's? 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see your one national treasure <laughs> and raise you five. Uh, so I'm going to go for the Spice Girls as the full ministerial team at DCMS. Sporty, obvious. Baby can do the sort of nice culture. Posh can do the high-end culture. Ginger can do media. And then Scary can do spending reviews and just do the negotiation within the other departments and be the sort of, if we needed to get into anything culture warsy, should be a person. So I think I've got a full ministerial team there. Stephen Fry was in Spice World, wasn't he? Did, did you say that? Or did we... No, I didn't. I think, I think Stephen, I'm pretty oh, sure I mean, Stephen Fry was in Spice World. We could get him a PPS World. job. Yeah. yeah, he could be PPS to the Spice Girls. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> bad. <laughs> on policy objectives, this is where I get worried. Joe, yeah. um, I think, you know, we're doing a lot of work on transitions of government here at IFG at the moment. And something that comes through really strongly is the importance of having a really clear and limited set of priorities. And I just worry that a five way job share is not going to give the civil service the clear though, leadership. I mean, department. kind of. I think that having, you know, one person at the helm who. You're arguing for Melon Sue. I'm calling it for the Spice Girls. <laughs> so we said we'd come back to Chief Whip. We've got a few nominations for Chief Whip. The Demon Headmaster is already there, and I sense that Joe's quite a fan. Alice, I think there's a there's a nice idea for you. That is Count von Count. Uh, very simple. First rule of politics: being able to count. Count von Count. Very good at counting. Really, his core <laughs> skill set. You were going to argue for Danny Dyer, so I, you know, <laughs> Danny Dyer against the Demon Headmaster for Chief Whip. It, it's very hard because the, <laughs> Danny Dyer will be able to tell you where various people are, whether or not they've got their trotters up, and the Demon Headmaster would prevent any trotters going up in the first instance. So it is a trade-off, but I think ultimately, if you come back to who our Prime Minister is, I'm not sure Serena would want the demon headmaster. She doesn't feel very demon headmastery. No. Um, she would want, sure, some discipline and sure, some good understanding yeah. of where her MPs are at, but not mind control. So maybe Danny Dyer is perfect. Danny Dyer handing out the pairing slips yeah. to go and put your trotters up. <laughs> you, exactly. <laughs> they would, have you got an alternative? They'd be called trotter slips. <laughs> very good. Uh, so I think we should consider Logan Roy, media magnet. Mainly because do you want reshuffles decided in the way that you are having to <laughs> listen to at the moment? Or would it be better to just have one massive round of ball on the floor to oh. decide who gets which role? I think ball on the floor is better. It's a good call. But do you think Logan Roy, could he ever not be the top dog? That's my problem with that Logan Roy. That is a good Roy. point. That is a good point. I mean, if you're Meryl Street point, you know, mm, yeah. ties in spades to Logan Roy. Maybe so, his ambition undoes him. So we're leaving Logan Roy. We've got Danny Dyer versus Count Von Count. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm quite persuaded by... The trotter slips. Yeah, trotter slips. <laughs> I yeah. think that's quite good. I didn't think it was going to go that way. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Dyer is indeed chief whip. Well, I've got one final one for me, which is... Bob Mortimer, who I think should be Minister for the Cabinet Office and also the what's informally known Minister for the Today programme. <laughs> uh, and that's because he can hold the most implausible lines to take under um, intensive cross-questioning. And I think any government needs someone who's prepared to go on the radio and say absolutely ludicrous things and make them sound uh, vaguely plausible. So Bob Mortimer for the Cabinet Office, unless anybody objects. No, he's Sold. a great meme. Cool. And anything else? So I've, I've got one, and that is for leader of the House of Commons. So 
it's quite a misunderstood role. It's quite unfairly maligned, I think. It's a job that requires you to kind of balance competing interests. So, you know, as, as leader of the house, you are kind of the representative of parliament to the government, but also vice versa. That can be quite a tricky line to kind of take, to balance. You have to be good at long-term kind of strategic planning. You have to be reactive to events as well. And I think a person in a role that combines all of those things is obviously the other England football team manager, which is, of course, Gareth Southgate. He has all of these qualities in spades. He's very diplomatic, very detail-focused, very polite. And I think something else that we've seen from him that I think would go down very, very well uh, with his cabinet colleagues is that he is very good at sort of helping colleagues who are under a lot of public scrutiny, media scrutiny, who are experiencing a lot of pressure, who are kind of really being maligned and criticised all the time, i.e. Harry Maguire. And Gareth Southgate has stuck with him. And I think that kind of loyalty is something that would really be very valuable uh, in a cabinet. Also, it would have meant he would have been the person carrying the sword at the coronation who wouldn't want to see that. There we go. Sold. So the cabinet, I mean, there are still a few gaps, but we have gone on for more than long enough. So thank you for bearing with us through all of that. Let's just run through the whole list that we've got here. So Prime Minister, Serena Wiegmann, Chancellor of the Exchequer, Snape, Chief Secretary, Rachel Riley, the Foreign Secretary is C-3PO, the Home Secretary is Adrian Dunbar, Department for Education, Alex Horn, Department for Transport, Noah from the Bible, Department for Culture, Media and Sport, the Spice Girls with PPS Stephen Fry, Chief Whip, Danny Dyer with his trotter slips. Cabinet Office and Minister for the Today programme is Bob Mortimer. And the Leader of the House of Commons is Gareth Southgate. How do we feel about that? They're going to smash a general election. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, they've go. got, there's a, there's a lot of many and varied talents in there. But Serena also has a backbone of like football people that she can rely on in the cabinet to kind of force her agenda through if and when it gets tricky. Not that I think she will need to. There'll be trouble ahead. Anyway, after all the churn we've seen in Westminster in recent years and some ministerial careers that perhaps won't go down in history, at least not for the right reasons, we think uh, our selections might even be worth a go next time Rishi Sunak is handing out peerages. But perhaps a fantasy House of Lords is one for next Christmas. In the meantime, I hope desperately that you enjoyed this one. And a big thank you <laughs> to Joe Owen, Alice Lilly and Emma Norris. Thank you for bearing with us and listening at home to this rather different effort. And thank you also for listening to Inside Briefing throughout the year. Do get in touch if you liked or hated our selections and please leave us a festive review. You can find all our podcasts at iTunes, Spotify, Acast and wherever you get your podcasts. And Inside Briefing will be back in its regular form, thank goodness, in the new year. Happy Christmas, enjoy the new year and see you in 2024.